I'm Daisy. And I'm Terry. And this is the Monday Monday Mindset Mindset Podcast, Podcast. where we share things of interest to us and hopefully to you. So let's get started with episode number 144. And this week, it's Daisy's turn to share something with us. Daisy, what do you have? Well, Terry, before we get started, I just wanted to give a very quick shout out to a new patron, Julie. So thank you very much, Julie, for supporting me through Patreon. This isn't something I usually talk about. We have mentioned it on Monday Mindset, but as anyone will know who listens to Keto Women, I haven't recorded a Keto Women episode for a rather long time, as I have mentioned when I've recorded the odd episode, just been super, super busy. I am hoping to get back to some episodes as soon as I possibly can, but life is a bit overwhelming (laughs) with work and builders and all that stuff. Monday mindset is a lot easier to keep going because I have my wonderful co-host who helps me. But I do still have to pay out to keep old episodes up. So thank you very much, Julie, for choosing to support me through Patreon. I very, very much appreciate it. On to this week's episode. It's not what I told you it was going to be about. (laughs) That will be next time. I am going to do a follow up to my last episode which was about distraction. And if you remember, they were a bit of a tease. They sort of gave us some information, but didn't really give us too many tips about how to help. They sort of told us that they had various programs that did help with it. But I went on to find a bit more information and even find one of the apps that they talk about that I've been having it go about. So I will be back with that next time as a follow-up. But there's something else that I've been listening to. I've actually finished both books now, but had a bit of a mammoth audible audiobook experience. Couple of books that certainly in the UK are free via the Audible Plus catalogue. I'm not sure whether they're in the free catalogue in the States. I shall have to get you to have a look and find out. We We have a lot of overlap but sometimes there are some books that are different and we can't get the same free ones both sides of the pond. But I got deep into books about sexism. (laughs) And I was thinking, how can I bring... No, I can't bring this. This isn't something I can bring to Monday Mindset. But then you know what? I thought we talk all the time about things that improve our health and our well-being And we talk about tips to address things that negatively impact our health and well-being. You know, not getting enough sleep, not breathing properly, not nasal breathing, you know, needing to to do more of this or more of that or less of this, less of that, help with habit forming and all the rest of it. Things that impact our everyday lives. So certainly for a lot of us, What probably impacts our everyday life more than everyday sexism? And that is the title of her first book. Who am I talking about? I am talking about a woman called Laura Bates. Now, Laura Bates founded the Everyday Sexism Project. And it's a website. She founded it in 2012. 
And it's also the title of her first book, Everyday Sexism, which was published in 2014. Now, she just started this, this uh, started as a blog, her website, sharing her own experiences of everyday sexism. But it ballooned with other people sharing and to over 100,000 entries just a few years later. And she has faced lots and lots and lots of abuse online, including death threats. And she gets hundreds of messages a day. And she's quite an interesting woman. She received the British Empire Medal in the 2015 Birthday Honours for services to gender equality. She's very smart and funny. She's got a really good dry sense of humour. She went to Cambridge and I have a feeling actually that she went to the same college as my dad. So definitely super smart. I don't know if you know, you've probably heard of Oxbridge universities. You have got to be super, super brainy to get in. But yes, yeah, so her books, I actually went in with the more hardcore one first. <laughs> but I would recommend, and I do recommend to anybody who's remotely interested and anyone who's impacted, which, to be honest, is going to be most of the people listening to this, I would be willing to bet. I would start with everyday sexism. I actually started with the second one, which is called Men Who Hate Women. And it has on the cover, it has women slashed out. It's just men who hate and this, she really goes into all the groups, some of which I'd heard of, like incels and MRAs, men's rights activists. They all have acronyms. Some I'd heard of, some I hadn't. And she talks about, she does it quite well, actually. She, she starts with the more sort of extremist end with really lots of violence, that violent language on the internet, but violence that seeps out into real life. And then she sort of tapers that down to the less aggressive and violent. But as that sort of comes down up on the other side, if you imagine a graph going up the other way, is the amount that it sort of infiltrates into our everyday lives. And she talks about all the different, all the different types. Like I say, it's really interesting. I'm not, I'm not going to go into really what the books are about. It's obvious what they're about. But it's really... It just really got to me that this is such an integral part of most of our lives every single day to the extent that we internalize it. I say we as predominantly women here, we internalize it and we normalize it to the extent that a lot of us probably wouldn't even classify it as sexual harassment. You know, think of things that a lot of us would think of as so minor, like, um, you know, wolf whistling, catcalling, the odd comment, the look that bumping up against you in an inappropriate way, just the look when you're talking to somebody and they can't look you in the face, they're looking at your boobs, you know, little things like that, that, that a lot of us find so normal. But that's part of that's a big part of the problem. And like I said at the beginning, when we're talking about our health and well-bringing, this is the kind of thing like everyday stress. And it is everyday stress that really sort of can bring you down, can drain your energy and can have a real impact on your health and well-being, your everyday life. So I thought, no, sod it. <laughs> I'm going to talk about this. An easy way to have a look and see what you think, see if you want to invest some time in listening to these books is to have a watch of her TED Talk. 
I'll put the link in the um, in the notes. But a couple of a hard hitting statistic for you here in the UK, one in four women will be raped or sexually assaulted as an adult. I'd be interested to know what that figure is. If you include children, I assume it probably goes up. Um, but internationally, that goes up to one in three women. One in three women will be raped or beaten in their lifetime. That is, uh, that is a pretty scary statistic. And I'm guessing it also doesn't include the number of those that will happen to more than once. Exactly. Exactly. And yes, a large number. It'd be interesting to know what the, the compound statistic would be on that. So yes, a lot of it makes for quite depressing reading or listening. And of course, most of us are aware of it. And like I say, it's, it's become a bit too normal. But I would have to say, and especially with the first book, there is some more uplifting stuff in her books. She doesn't just, what I really liked about it is it's not, and it's not at all about bashing men. She deals with the subject very sensitively and very, it's very much a book that I would give to men to read, for example. It's, you know, it doesn't come from that. And see, look, I'm already sort of trying to get a bit defending it. I think we sort of fall into that trap too often. But there's a lot of humor in it. She shares, she shares a lot of stories that have come from this website, a lot of really funny comebacks from mostly from women, but from men as well. There's a particular funny story where um, a guy had shared an anecdote on this website. That's what people do. You fill out a form and you, you share your stories. And there are hundreds and thousands, as I mentioned before. And a guy shared his story where he was walking along with his friend and got the typical um, blokes across the road calling out, Oi, get your tits out. And so he lifts his, he lifts his shirt up, much to their surprise. He's like, what? <laughs> Do what you asked. So, you know, it's lots of, lots of funny things too. But um, I came out with a, quite a sense of, you know, hope and empowerment that comes from sharing. That's her big thing. And that's the big thing that, that she's found with the sharing of these stories is the hope and empowerment that it gives to women, to girls, all the people who are reading this, that they're not alone. And so it's making them braver to stand up for themselves, to advocate for themselves a bit more. So she's very much not um, ranting. She wants us all to be part of the change. And she says that real change comes at a personal level. And she cites um, a guy who was, was helping her with, uh, I don't know whether it was the website project or a documentary she was making, I think. He was really involved, really sensitive to the subject, was really touched by it. But he went home and he came back the next day and she said he just sort of turned this shade of grey looked really really not well at all and she asked him what was going on and he said he'd had some conversations with I think you know family members or friends and had heard their stories and he said that it really brought it home to him it became personal so it's not that he wasn't affected and impacted by um, the research they were doing the stories they were telling 
But when he heard it from whoever it was, you know, his sister, his friend, his mother, his daughter, his niece, whoever it was, it really started to bring it home. And, and we've talked about this before. Sometimes that it's difficult to find empathy when you haven't experienced it yourself. And this is where she she talks about the importance of conversations. And there's a guy she talks to in the Men Who Hate book. I forget the name of his project, but he goes into schools and he talks to boys about this. And she said, we can't do this without men. We can't do this without men like you. Because she said, I can't go in and have those conversations. It's not going to work if I do it. It has to be a man that does it. And he says, that's, that's it. He said, he goes in and he said, and nothing's off the table. They can talk about anything they like. So they can talk about all these things that they're watching and um, reading about on the internet. And he debunks them all. He pulls them all apart and he educates them. And that's, and that's where it starts. That's where it's important. And that's the big problem here is the internet but there's there's one side of it where people are dismissing it as just it's just virtual this is just stuff that's happening on the internet but no it's happening in you know it's filtering down into everyday lives and a, a great example of that and this comes from watching porn there was an incident at a school where a boy raped a girl and you know and she was crying and she reported it and he was asked when asked about this, didn't you realize what you were doing? Because he didn't, he, he didn't understand that what he'd done was wrong. And he said, well, didn't you realize that you were doing something wrong when she was crying? Didn't that tell you something? I thought that was normal. I thought girls cried when they were enjoying it. So you've got this whole rape culture situation going on where there's a real misunderstanding of what sexual pleasure is and all these other things. It's just, so she just, I've just touched on it there, but she, it, I really do recommend them. She goes into it in, in great detail, but like I say, it's not just depressing overload. There's, there's some real hope and humor that comes out of it. But really, <laughs> takes always takes me ages to get to the point, doesn't it? But really, what I wanted to come out of this, and this is where I'm going to put you on the spot. And although obviously it applies to this topic, I think it's something that can be applied to all sorts of things. And it is something that we've touched on before. How do we go about advocating for ourselves and for other people. And I should imagine quite often it will be easier to advocate for other people. But how often have we seen something going on and not stepped in? How often has something happened to us and we haven't advocated for ourselves? You know, there was this guy in France who was the, the husband of a friend of mine who used to make a comment to me about my breasts every time, almost before he said hello. And I didn't want to make a fuss. I didn't want to make a scene. That's not really advocating for myself, you know. So there's, there's that kind of level. Obviously, there's a, how do you advocate for yourself? How do you forgive yourself, I guess, in some ways, for not standing up for yourself when you look back on things that happened that maybe you know you could have stopped or you think you could have stopped 
you know, when I was attacked in the street, there were people not very far away. If I'd have shouted, maybe it would have, wouldn't have happened. You know, how do you forgive yourself for that? How do you not fall victim of your own inherent sexism, the sexism that is all around us? This, like I say, this, the insidious side, the normalization of it, that they talk to girls at university. How likely is it that you are going to experience sexism while you're at the university? How likely is it you're going to experience some sexual harassment, some inappropriate touching, some, you know, whatever it is? Oh, it's not how likely, it's inevitable. It will happen. And the chances are they won't report it. And the chances are they won't even think of it as sexual assault because it's so normal. Everything is so normalized. So big question for you there. Take it away. No, no, no problem, <laughs> Daisy. Um, <laughs> well, one of the things that makes me think of, as you kind of mentioned, this is true in other areas of life as well, but learning to advocate for ourselves um, is often something we're not taught to do. We're not, it's not role modeled, you know, it's not modeled for us. And we learn not to do it for lots of reasons. We don't want to upset people. We don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. We might think, listen, it's happened a couple of times before and I didn't address it. So now what do I expect? Of course it's going to happen. Like we start mm. to blame ourselves. We start to take ownership for it. Like I'm the reason this is happening. Yeah, what's your problem? I've been saying that to you for the last five years. Right. Why are you complaining about it now? That's right. <laughs> and I think the other piece is... It also ties back into our own sense of self. If we have insecurities, if we have doubts about ourselves, if we question our value or worth or how much space is it okay to take up any of these things, which are normal things that people struggle with, when we're being violated in some way, verbally, emotionally, physically, that makes it more complicated to advocate for ourselves when we are questioning, do I really deserve to be treated better? Did I do something that brought this on? Is this my fault? Um, so I, I think for most of us, it's not even just starting at the advocacy place, but working on all of these other things all of the time. My self-respect, my belief in myself of self-worth, of me having rights for my safety, my comfort, my voice. Um, so those are things I think we also have to be working on in order to practice advocating for ourselves. Because if those things aren't in place, advocating for ourselves is going to be really complicated. Why, why would you give voice to something that you think doesn't deserve a voice? Mm. So I think it's a an even bigger task for many of us than simply learning how to advocate for ourselves. I think the other piece is learning about our emotional responses and other people's emotional responses and how can we not work so hard to take care of everyone's emotional response. And this is complicated, again, by the idea that what if I grew up in a way that I had to learn that if someone around me, um, let's say I was younger, so an older sibling, a cousin, a parent, an aunt or uncle, a teacher, some 
one who had a little bit of age or authority over me, if they were uncomfortable or upset, things were worse for me. I've probably learned don't rock the boat. Don't don't let them get upset because that's going to be a high price for me. So not only do we learn to protect other people's emotional responses, protect them from having those responses, but we learn to protect ourselves from other people having difficult emotional responses. To me, as you talk about this, it's just so multi-layered mm. um, that all of these are things I invite all of us to keep looking at, to keep exploring. How can I be safe and let other people have their emotional response and me not be responsible for it? I don't take blame for it. I don't work on making them avoid it by taking on consequences myself. How can I make myself safe when other people are having their emotional responses? And I think one of the complexities for so many of us is that these are things that we often learned at a very young age. And in general, kids learn things, they are like sponges. And it's really, it's about the brain waves, the, the waves that where their brain is really functioning at that time. And so mm. they just take on things as reality. Mm -hmm. And then 20 years, 30 years, 40 years later, 50 years later, even though cognitively we may know that that thing isn't true, we still have it already imprinted in our brain that this is how that works. I'm responsible for making sure that people around me do not get upset about anything. Because what I learned when I was five is that's dangerous. Yeah, it's like it taps back in. It's like there's this main line back mm -hmm. to that child response mm -hmm. that is just an instinctive response or it's just you, you can't, you, sometimes you, you don't even realize you're doing it. Absolutely. And realistically, it was a healthy coping strategy. It was mm. a survival strategy that you learned how to read a room, you learned how to read other people's emotions, and you learned how not to upset anyone. And now suddenly you hear us talking about, yeah, you need to advocate for yourself and, and put stops to these things. And that's like a totally foreign concept mm. when my natural instinct is to make sure no one around me gets upset. People pleasing, you know, you and I have talked about people pleasing before, similar thing. If I learned that people around me being unhappy, uncomfortable, upset has dire consequences in this situation, I will work really hard to please them so that none of those negative things come through. So like I said, this to me is like opening up a whole big um, piece for most of us to continue to work on. But let's go back to one of the examples that you and I shared of the idea that we may think I didn't respond to it the way I wanted to last time. I don't have any right to respond to it that way this time. Mm. And to me, that would be like saying, well, I'm sitting here looking at an intersection out my window and I'm watching people sitting at a light. Let's say, for example, while I'm driving, I don't notice the light in time and I run through it right under it as it's turning red. Now, every time I approach a light, I don't have to say, well, I went through it when it was partially red last time. That's the way I have to do it again. Mm. We get to do it differently. And sometimes it takes 
going through it to even know that didn't feel right or that didn't fit for me or that had a consequence that I'm not comfortable with. And I'm thinking of an example, and I'm, I'm sure most listeners can think of lots of their own examples. When I was a, a new teacher, so I was in my early 20s, and there was a male teacher in my building who, I don't know, was probably 25 years older, maybe maybe more, and you know had been teaching for many, many years, well-liked on the staff. And most times when I would interact with him, just the two of us, there was something inappropriate said something done, a, a tone, a raising of the eyebrows, something that I knew wasn't comfortable for me. Mm. And it happened a number of times before I realized this isn't right and I don't want to have it happen more. And one way I can see if I can prevent it from happening is I can respond differently. But I did have that thought at first, like, Terry, you've let it happen 15 times already. That's not fair. You can't really change stream now. Mm. And I realized I had to, because otherwise I was going to just reinforce it and teach him that it's okay to talk to me that way. It's okay to make those comments. I realized even in my joking with him, I started to be more mindful that I, I didn't communicate something that I didn't want to be communicating, that I know to anyone else, it would not have been communicating something uncomfortable. So I just really started to pay attention to my interactions with him. But the next time he said something inappropriate to me, I looked at him. I didn't laugh because in the past I would have just laughed, kind of sloughed it off. And I didn't laugh. And I said, that's not okay. And I was scared. Mm. This isn't you know, a, a more respected teacher, someone with seniority and everything. But I realized I had, for me to go forward feeling better about how this was happening, I needed to change how I treated myself in the situation. I can't control what he's going to do, but I could treat myself differently. And how I treated myself is how I'd want to treat someone else. I would stand up for me. You know, if you saw someone whipping a dog, you would say, hey, that needs to stop. Yeah. What are you doing? Mm. So I needed to be respectful to myself in that situation. And I get it. For many of us, when these things happen, we are concerned about, is there going to be a consequence? Is the behavior going to get worse? Is the behavior going to escalate somehow? You know, is he going to go to the principal and start some, you know, crap for me, basically? Mm. And I get those fears can also keep us from having our voice, especially if we've kind of learned along the way, it's better just tolerate what's happening so that it doesn't get worse. So when I think about this learning how to advocate for ourselves, I just really recognize it's, it's complicated. There are many layers to it. It's not just learn the right words to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... It's hard. Really looking at the whole dynamic of what's going on mm. and how you're feeling in the situation and, and what, you know, kind of limiting beliefs and self-protective beliefs are you bringing into the situation? Yeah, and I suspect sometimes it might be easier to 
you know, ad be advocating for somebody else. You know, so often we've, we've talked about this before. It's, it's often easier when <laughs> you're doing it for somebody else than, than for yourself. But one of the big things that, that I got from listening to her work was being more aware of the ways that we get shut down when we do try and say something. And that might be somebody else <laughs> trying to shut us down. It might be us trying to shut us, mm -hmm. trying to shut ourselves down with that, you know, internal dialogue that's going on. But yes, I, I found it very interesting, all the the different ways, whether it's, um, you know, someone laughing it off, someone telling you not to make a fuss, someone telling you, well, that's just, it's always been like that. Or, you know, it's better than it used to be. What are you complaining about? Or, you know, that's so normal. It happens all the time. What are you, you know, what are, what's the problem? And that's where the, the sharing and getting this community sense of empowerment, I think, really helps and comes in. She has so, so many interesting things to say. And I just felt I learned so much, became so much more aware of all sorts of things. But like I say, being aware of, of when you are being shut down, when you've made that decision, even whether it's conscious or not, to speak up for yourself or to say something, just the, the many ways that that gets shut down. And she talked about examples of the Me Too movement and, you know, this whole when, when somebody is brave enough to speak up and then other voices join that and it becomes this big movement. But she was talking about the backlash to that and then the ways, and this is where it was interesting, hearing about the ways that people work to shut that down on a practical level. In the workplaces, there was this fear, there was this backlash, this sudden men were, we're just, we can't be alone with women. It's we're too scared to be in a room alone with women in case I get branded a sex pest or whatever it is. And, and she was saying, well, you know, there is an easy solution to that. You know, you don't need to worry about having um, an accusation of sexual harassment against you if you don't do it. <laughs> you know, it's it's quite simple, really. But this whole this and you've talked about that swinging of the pendulum back too far the other way. And she has all sorts of interesting statistics like you're more likely as a man to be. Um, sexually attacked, sexually assaulted yourself than to be falsely accused of being the person who's committed the sexual assault. So lots of interesting statistics, lots of just examples of ways and um, very public people will, will shut down. But instances like this, like I say, that the after effects of the Me Too movement were things like in companies, things like mentor schemes were stopped, you know, one-on-one -on -one mentorship programs where it was a man who was mentoring a woman. So that, And then suddenly, you know, that stops the advancement of some women's careers and their their business and entrepreneurial development, it just gets shut down. And this became, you know, this became policy in some companies. So this 
pushback this rather than just what she's really advocating for is just is just having discussion be part of the change having these conversations really really interesting books and really interesting conversations to be had with friends that you have that are men husbands brothers uncles whoever it is you know have some of these conversations because like I say to be empathetic about something you've got to feel it personally and if you haven't experienced it yourself and if you're not ever really likely to experience it yourself you've got to borrow that experience from other people mm-hmm. on that note daisy i'm also thinking um i imagine for many men this is a complicated matter as well in graduate school i worked on this research study and what we were looking at is people who have both a majority status like maybe their race or their gender, you know, the the status that has privilege. Mm. And they may have a minority status or an oppressed status. So like for me being white, I have privilege in that. Me being a woman, I don't have privilege as a woman. So kind of using our different experiences and different aspects of our identity to help us understand other people. So when I think of the work that some men have to do, really all men probably in this area, but how complicated it is, because it's hard to identify that you've learned and carry out things that are harming other people. Just like it is hard for me to know as a white person that I have carried beliefs mm. and I have, I have enacted behaviors that are oppressive yeah. and I don't want to keep doing that, but I have to keep learning how I'm doing that. I have to keep learning and unlearning and relearning. Yeah. It's an active process, isn't it? Yeah. And so as you said, these, these conversations are so important. I hope that um, men who really value this will talk about it, talk with other men about it, talk with women about it, learn what am I contributing to the problem and what are the ways I can stop contributing to the problem and be a voice that starts to change this. Yeah, how can I contribute to the solution? Yeah, in my own interactions with others, but then also in my dialogue with other men about what I allow them to joke around about and make comments about what I ignore, you know, kind of like what you were saying before, what things do I not address when people are saying them or doing them? Um, if I were a man and my buddy standing next to me does some catcalling for a woman that walks by, do I laugh? Or do I say, dude, you've got to stop. That is completely inappropriate. Mm. Do I address it or do I let it happen? And so I think both men and women and non-binary people, we all are affected by sexism. Yeah. Yeah. And we all have to be looking at it. Mm. Yeah. And that's what I really liked about her books, actually, is that she she really bigs up the effort that so many men she knows directly or indirectly, the 
effort that they make. She really values that. She talks about the importance of their involvement, the absolute necessity that they're part of the solution. So it was one of those things that I resisted a bit reading because I thought it might be a little bit um, soapboxy, you know, but it wasn't. It just, I found it very interesting. I found it very educational, very eye-opening. Lots of things that I knew about already, lots of things that um never heard of, but made me a lot more aware and a lot more ready to um, at least try and stand up for myself, definitely stand up for other people because I've sat by, I've sat by, I've seen things happen where I should have, oh, hold on a minute, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. You know, like you were saying, if you're standing there, the example you just gave, you're standing there and somebody says, something inappropriate especially if they're somebody you've been friends with for a while do you it's difficult to pull somebody up on it hey you know it's it's not easy (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm definitely not saying it's easy that's one of the reasons why um you know I wanted to ask you about this because you're always so helpful for me personally with helping me try and get to grips with these things try and do the difficult things and figure out how to do them how to take those first steps But like I say, it just comes back to this. We talk often about, you know, things like our body is designed for dealing with stress, but it's that everyday drip, drip, drip stress that is a problem. And that's what just Mm -hmm. got to me with these books. You know, it's the same kind of thing. It is something that is going to just be like that low level depression that low level stress that low level what it is it is impacting your health and well-being and maybe Mm. bit by bit there might be something you can do just to pick that up a bit just like you can bring your mood up a little bit you can lower your stress levels a bit you can work on your circadian rhythms you can work on all these things help your sleep, help your focus on breathing through your nose, all these things. I just thought, yeah, you know, it is an important part of the puzzle for most of us that impacts our daily life. And it is something that maybe we need to be thinking about a little bit more. I'm thinking both in the example of advocating for ourselves and advocating for others by confronting people in behaviors that we see. I'm thinking of it this way that When I don't act in a way that's congruent with my values, that is stressful. That takes something from me. Mm. So if I don't advocate for myself, I may have avoided the discomfort in the moment Mm, of how is this going to play out? But afterward, I will feel good about advocating for myself. Likewise, if I confront someone else in their behavior, in the moment, I might be afraid of, oh, what if he flips me off and tells me he doesn't want to ever hang out again. Okay, well, do I really want to keep hanging out with someone who thinks this behavior is fine and is willing to tell me off because they believe that so much? It is in that moment a stressor. But when you go into the whole stress research and everything, stress in the moment is one thing. And as you said, we're we're built to deal with it and we it can be actually a positive thing. But if I don't advocate for myself or if I don't advocate for other people, I'm willing to guess for many of us, we carry that impact of stress much longer Mm. than the moment in the situation. Very good point. Yeah. Because it's going to happen again. Yeah. 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 So we now have anticipation it's going to happen again. And we've 
acted in a way that didn't feel congruent for us. And that weighs heavily on us also. And even if you just avoid it, which is one of my tactics, well, mm-hmm. just avoid hanging out with that person. Okay, so you've kind of got around it that way. You haven't had to, well, you just haven't had to see it again. You haven't really gotten around it at all. You've just avoided being involved in maybe, um, you know, helping be part of the solution here. But you haven't helped them either by not bringing it to their attention. Mm -hmm. Because again, it might be something that's so entrenched in their behavior that can't even see it until somebody that they actually like and respect and care about points it out. Because that's the other thing, isn't it? If someone pulls me up on something, somebody I have no respect for or don't like, I'm not very likely to listen. If you were to pick me up on something, knowing how defensive I tend to be, I might not react very well in the moment, but I sure as hell would chew it over and and come back on it Mm -hmm. because it had been you that had said something to me. And of course, it being you, you'd have found a a way to say it that it would have gotten through to me. But you you get what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. If somebody you like and respect and love brings something to your attention that something you're doing is not appropriate you're probably more likely to listen so not only are you not doing yourself and and the world at large a favor but you're you're really not doing the person in question many favors either this example comes up for me often in these type of conversations and i'm sure i've shared it here before with you but i remember listening to an interview with maya angelou and she talked about when people were making racist comments, how does she deal with that? She used the example, she said, listen, I've had people at my table. This is my way of remembering the story from the interview, but basically I've had people at my dining room table that I've invited into my home to share a meal with me and they make a comment that is racist. I'm not gonna change that person. I'm not gonna debate with that person. I'm just gonna say to them, not at my table. And so I'm thinking, if I say to that teacher who's saying those inappropriate things to me, that's not okay with me. I'm not preventing him from doing it to other people. I'm probably not going to actually change him. Yeah, it's not on you to change somebody. But not at my table. And confronting someone about their behavior towards someone else. If, you know, again, if I'm that friend and I'm watching this happen and I confront it, even if I, I'm not going to change that person's behavior by and large, but I am starting to set the tone. You're not going to do that when I'm with you. Mm. Or guess what? I won't be with you. <laughs> so the other thing you just brought up is kind of the avoidance. And I know avoidance gets a lot of uh, negative connotation to it. But I also encourage people to think about sometimes avoiding certain things is our way of self-protecting. Mm. If someone has felt unsafe to me, I don't walk into the room alone with them. I don't have to prove something by being able to go in there. I can keep myself safe. I'll go into the room later when they're gone. So I don't always think avoiding a situation is a cowardly thing to do or, you know. Yeah, it's a good point. Advocating for yourself doesn't it's not taking on the onus of changing <laughs> the person who is at fault, the person who has done something wrong. Mm-hmm. Just saying, yeah, I love that. <laughs> not at my table. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen on my watch. That's right. And even if that means 
yeah, I can't be in your presence, like you say, if it's a if it's a question of not feeling safe for somebody. Mm-hmm. I'm interested now to go back and listen to these books. Um, so often now when I talk about reading, I just talk about listening because that's what I'm probably going to do is listen. Yeah, same. <laughs> but I'm really glad to hear, Daisy, that there's hope in it, that it's not just here's the problem and, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, but that there's hope and... No, that's what I really liked about them. They felt like productive listening. Good. It wasn't just ranty. Mm-hmm. You know, it felt like, yeah, this could help change. And at the same time, I totally get the rantiness that mm. this, oh, yeah. this is egregious and it can't be, you know, continued this way. Mm. And here are some hopeful things about it. Here are some things that we all can do actively and work on in our lives and help other people work on. So thank you for sharing this author and these books. And now I have homework to do. <laughs> well, I hope people do take some time to listen to them because like I say, it was, it was a big chunk of my time, but it affected me pretty deeply. And like I say, I was sort of thinking, well, how, how can I bring this as something to share? But then I thought, well, you know, that's the essence of this podcast started with things that we like to share with each other. And this mm. is something that I really wanted to to share with you and to talk to you about and ask for your advice about. So actually, I felt like, although a difficult subject in some ways, it was the perfect thing to be sharing with you. So nice. thank you very much for sharing that space with me. Absolutely. I hope you have a very wonderful week. Take good care, everybody. Bye.